0: Okay, good morning, everyone. Thank you. Today's lesson is adapted from material from Capitol Hill Baptist Church. And this morning, we're going to be looking at some of the one another commands in the Bible. And we want to talk especially about what Christian love looks like. Acts 2.42 says that the early Christians... Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So, this morning we're going to focus in on the aspect of fellowship. Early Christians devoted themselves to the fellowship. I want you to think about all the different places where we experience any sort of fellowship in community. There's sporting events, for me, it's the skate park, Um, maybe a neighborhood get together. Uh, talking with coworkers during a lunch break, family reunions, maybe not so much fellowship there, depending on your family. Um, I have a great family, so we have a good time. My family. Um, there, there's also the local church, just to name a few examples. So I want to start out uh, asking you guys a question, um, or throwing out a question to discuss. What, what would you say makes Christian fellowship different from worldly friendships and relationships? What makes Christian fellowship different from worldly friendships and relationships? God's spirit to love each other and build each other up that's that's really good I didn't think of that yeah anything else that's good yeah it's like non-believers can sometimes forgive each other too but they definitely don't have the foundation to do that in the same way that we do they like it should like you said it isn't always the case but because of how we have been forgiven of infinite amounts of sin against God it should be so much easier for us to extend that same grace to others yeah
1: Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, because we have an eternal bond with other believers. Yeah.
0: In. yeah, I'm, I, when you said that, I'm thinking of how, oh, yeah, in high school, a lot of my friends stopped skateboarding, and that that kind of ended our relationship mostly. I mean, we were still friends, but we didn't hang out much. Yeah. The first thing that you're was just the Holy Spirit being in each of us and uniting us. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And with that comes, a whole host of things. You know, with mm-hmm. how we relate with one another, the Spirit, spirit mm-hmm.
0: all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Amen. We're all united to Christ. We have a common salvation. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Yeah. Any Anyone else? Yeah.
2: Um. I think the scripture says about bearing burdens with one another. Mm-hmm. A lot of times
1: the world can say, well, we let's not. Yeah. A lot of the yeah.
0: So. yeah. Yeah. Like we're called to bear with one another right. even when it's hard. Mm-hmm. Be- being told to bear with one another assumes that it will be hard sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, everything y'all said was really good. And, and there's so much we could say here. So, what I want to focus on is that. One of the key distinctives of Christian fellowship should be that it's based on Christ-like love. And this is what I want to try to scratch the surface on today. We're going to look at what does Christian love look like? What does love look like in our spiritual and supernatural community, the church, the local church? So we're going to talk about how we're called to love one another within the church and in doing this, I want to try to pay special attention to some of the different one another commands in the Bible. There are, there are many one another commands in the New Testament. What I mean by one another command is like in Hebrews 10 or 1 Thessalonians 5 when we're called to encourage one another. So any command with the one another. And what really helped my understanding of this is, is realizing the context that these commands were given. What I mean by that is when the Thessalonian church received the letter and they, they heard encourage one another, they weren't just thinking, okay, they weren't thinking some nebulous group of people. They were thinking about each other, the, the people around them in their local church. And so they weren't thinking of every believer they could possibly think of. And so, God, this is good news, God does not hold us accountable to tangibly, regularly, and intentionally encourage every single believer that we might ever cross paths with, like in the grocery store or something. However, we should be concerned if we are not committed members of a local church in which we are actively seeking to routinely encourage other members of the body the christian these one another commands are yet another pointer to the fact that we can't live faithfully outside of commitment to a specific body of believers so does that make sense the the one another aspect okay cool um so moving on to the second section in your notes We're going to talk about what characterizes healthy relationships in the church. And I think the answer is both simple and profound. It's love. Could someone please read John chapter 13, verses
3: 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another.
0: Thank you. I forgot it was on the paper. I was like, Des, that was fast. You were good. I gave it to you. you. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, he hasn't memorized. This is great. Good. So in a word, Christ-like love is what makes our fellowship distinct from every other earthly community. And we should ask, why is this love important? It's because God is glorified. When people who have little else in common live together in genuine love. And this is how others will know we are Christ, by our love, like that song goes. Anyone can love those who love them back, but we are called to love even when we get nothing in return. We're called to love our enemies. And this is what Paul gets so excited about in chapter 3 of Ephesians. He, he talks about how previously separate and clashing peoples, the Jews and the Gentiles, are now in Christ, one unified family in the church. This is supernatural reconciliation that displays God's wisdom and God's power to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, according to Ephesians 3. And the other thing is, our love in the body of Christ models, even if only slightly, you know, it's, it's a pale reflection. But nonetheless, it's a reflection of the unity of love in our trying God. Jesus says in John 17, I think it's on your... Yeah. Oh, I took it off. I'll, I'll read it. In, in John 17... Jesus prays, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may be become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So Jesus is praying here that his followers may be one, even as he and the Father are one. And he's praying this to the end that the world would know that Jesus was sent by the Father and that the Father loves his people even as he loves the Son. So our love for each other rooted in our unity in Christ is a picture of the loving unity of the Godhead. So now let's get more specific because obviously love is a very common word and it can become functionally meaningless. So Jonathan Edwards' simple definition isn't comprehensive, but I think it's helpful here. So it's on your notes. Jonathan Edwards said that love is that disposition or affection by which one is dear to another. So as Christians, we are dear to one another because we are dear to God. Being God's child involves loving what God loves. And God loves the church so much that he purchased her with his own blood. God's love models that love is not just an emotion or a feeling, but it's a disposition that will actually express itself in action, concrete action that will bring the other person's ultimate good. We're not talking about just what makes them feel good in the moment, but that will bring about their ultimate good. So if that's, if that's what love is, then we're gonna, we need to notice three things. Uh, uh, the next three points on your notes. First, Christian love is hard. I think we all know this. Love must come from the heart in order for it to be genuine, yet we know that our hearts are so hard. We are not yet free from the presence of sin in our lives, unfortunately. And I think we, we see how prone we are to not love in the fact that the Bible is constantly exhorting us to this. God's word doesn't waste commands. The, the Bible doesn't need to say, let us breathe. We do that automatically. But we do not love one another automatically. Another reason... Um, that, that we're prone to neglect this is because it's, it's not the path of least resistance. In our flesh, we prefer ease to a hard conversation with someone. We prefer having our time to ourselves to serving one another. We want to have our needs met rather than give up our preferences. And of course... We're called to love each other, and we, we know that we're all, all of us are sinners. It's hard to love fellow sinners. We're going to hurt each other's feelings sometimes. We're going to misunderstand each other. Maybe we'll say something awkward or insensitive. Um, we resist each other's counsel. This should, this should help us appreciate more how patient and merciful Christ is with us because we do the same But unfortunately, often we we forget that and we want to draw back from loving one another. The second point, though, is that while Christian love can be difficult, we can show such love because of God's grace shown to us in Christ that's powerfully working in us as his redeemed people. We love because God first loved us. Could someone please turn to 1 John 4.19? And, and read it for us. Yeah, First John four nineteen. Next thing. Yeah, you're five. Okay. We love because he first loved us. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Good. Yeah. Amen. So we love because he first loved us. We can love because God has shown his love into our hearts. It's, it's all his work to the praise of his glory. God's love is supernatural and unconditional. It's not... I think, obviously, in our, in our relationships, we're always tempted to have a give and take, like, oh, I'll, I'll invite them over for dinner because they invited me over last month. But that's, that's not what God's love is like. Instead, we, God's love is, is more like what we see pointed to in, in Luke 14, 12 through 14. You can, you can turn there, and, and I'll read the verses. Um, go ahead and, and turn to Luke 14. I think this is a very challenging passage. So Luke 14, 12 through 14 says, Jesus said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. What what principle is Jesus teaching here, would you say? I think
3: it's, uh, one is, that we naturally develop. And then also, he he sort of takes the attention away from the person um, you're serving and sort of gives you this long vision. Um, You'll be blessed at the resurrection. So he's sort of looking past, beyond the person at your table uh, and looking to the Lord who will reward you as you serve. satisfaction of the brothers, relatives, neighbors, people who maybe we naturally know and are prone to by uh, getting at serving those who you're not naturally uh, bent towards. Yeah. So with the, with the, the, the long end goal. Yeah. That word,
0: yeah. Right. yeah. Mm, that's good. Thank you. Yeah, it really cuts to the heart. It, it forces me to question, wait a minute. Am I showing love to people in my life just because I get something in return, be it affirmation or, you know, whatever? Or, or is my love more God-like, more Christ-like, that I'm truly loving without expecting anything in return? And what I want to point out is that, of course, anyone can love when they're loved back. It doesn't take God's grace to, to do that. But what's much more heavenly is when we love and pour ourselves out even when getting nothing in return. That is more like God's love, for he, he pours out his grace on us and, of course, gets nothing. Even even our, you know, feeble worship is is ultimately a gift of his grace. And so I, I think that's crazy to, to think about. God has set his love on us, and, and he gets nothing. Um, but it's who he is. He's overflowing in, in kindness and in mercy. Jonathan Edwards put it well, uh, to quote him again. He said, It is from the breathings of the Holy Spirit that the Christian's love arises, both towards God and men. The Spirit of God is a spirit of love. And therefore, when the Spirit of God enters into, a, into the soul, love enters. God is love, and he who has God dwelling in him, by his spirit, will have love dwelling in him. In 1 John 3.16, we read, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So, we can never approach maturity in loving each other apart from maturity in understanding the depth of God's love. The more we appreciate the magnitude of love that Christ has shown us by dying for every single one of our sins, the more our lives will be characterized by love. So let us strive to grasp His love. Finally, the the third aspect of Christian love that I want to point out is that it brings great joy. This is really encouraging to me because love feels like death sometimes it's a dying to self and yet we we must believe that it's supremely worth it loving others doesn't just do them good it brings us the kind of sturdy satisfaction and joy in god that we were created for Psalm one says how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. So now I want to, keeping these principles in mind, I want to spend the rest of the class considering how practically we can fulfill this command to love one another inside the church. So we're going to talk about six aspects of fellowship that is marked by christ-like love we want to the goal is to be able to identify these six aspects within our church and i think we already can i i think i'm I'm very encouraged by by the love that i that i experience and and see amongst this body but of course i also want to call us to greater depths of love greater faithfulness so number one the first aspect is fellowship and diversity Love seeks understanding. The church's fellowship is unique because it involves people from all sorts of backgrounds, all united around Christ. This means that love seeks understanding. In love, we should reach out to those who are different from us. We should seek to understand each other's hopes, dreams, struggles, sins, backgrounds, and battles. Seek reconciliation when there's alienation. In friendship, even in relationships that, apart from Christ, probably wouldn't happen. So our church is to be a community where people put in the effort to make real, substantive friendships with those who have a different cultural background or those who aren't in the same age range or in a different stage of life, or have a different personality, all with Christ at the center. When Anna and I lived in China for a few years, we were a part of an international church that, uh, we, we lived in Beijing, so there were many expats. There were people from all around the world who worshiped at our church, except for China, because of the, the laws there. There were thankfully good Chinese churches that we could point people to but anyway our church was was very diverse and yet i was convicted because early on i noticed that the people that i'd always find myself gravitating towards and hanging out with were other americans around my age and stage of life and i wasn't i wasn't doing anything maliciously but it was the path of least resistance um and so by, by God's grace, I, I became convicted of this, and I, I started trying to branch out more and be intentional to get to know others who were different from me. And it was, it was encouraging because in the end, these friendships were much more, they exceeded the depth of, of fellowship that I could have imagined. Um, I, I think of, you know some of the brothers and sisters who became dear to us like Oliver our friend from Liberia who who got his PhD in biology and we, we started playing soccer with even though soccer is not not my favorite sport but he was he was really into it and he he was there uh, by our side many much of the time when we were brand-new parents like he would come over all the time when Layla was only a few months old um, or another, another sister that we got to know uh, named Irene, who's Dutch and comes out of this crazy New Age occult background. She's constantly talking about crazy stories of witchcraft. Um, you can ask Anna about that later if you're interested. But it, it, was, it's incredible to, to, it was incredible to learn about what God saved her out of. Um, she's a fashion designer. So she gave Layla some really, really cool clothes. Um, but anyway these these relationships were so precious and enriching yet we had nothing in common outside of our faith but that's the beauty of the gospel We're, we're united we're brought together in christ and i think part of what made these friendships so enjoyable and edifying spiritually edifying was that we were so different so i obviously would have said from the get-go that I had Christian unity with everyone at my church in Beijing, but my interactions were unfortunately only reflecting unity in the same life stage or same uh, nationality rather than a transcultural foundational unity in the same faith, hope, and Lord. And so I think for all of us, it's easiest to gravitate toward other, like, singles or couples, um, for example. Or we're tempted to sort ourselves according to um, background, career, uh, ethnicity, personality, hobbies, whatever it may be, even within the church. But we're called to something much higher because in Christ we're brought together. So... Rather than being separated by what distinguishes us, the question we, we need to be asking is how can we interact and have relationships that reflect our unity in Christ. I I want to say I'm I'm encouraged by God's grace among us in in this area too. I the the first example that came to my mind was a bike ride that some of us took earlier this year. Will Parker organized it and. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you did it? Wait, who organized it? Uh, did I Kylie organize you, it?
2: I, th-
0: I think it was Don Burns. Yeah. Oh, cool. So, Don organizes this bike ride, and there's a bunch of us guys who go, and uh, there's, like, I think single guys on that trip, you know, o- older guys with grandkids, and everything in between. And it was, it was a really good time. We even played pickup basketball at the end, but I think it was a great example of the, the fellowship that we have in Christ. A bunch of, like, we probably looked really weird on the basketball court. Like, why are those young guys hanging out with a you know, they probably assumed he was like our grandpa, but Don was not our grandpa. We're, he was our fellow church member. So anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I want to encourage us to, to seek spending time with someone within the church that you wouldn't naturally gravitate towards, that you maybe share little in common with. Because... Um, you know, in, in Christian circles, we talk, maybe maybe not in you all circles, but I hear people talk about like, oh, that person's really life-giving. But we're called not just to hang out with those who are life-giving to us. We're, we're called to, to follow Christ in love, even those who are not as natural for us to love. So number two, I want to talk about how, I want to talk about fellowship and service. Love requires sacrifice. Our fellowship should be, sac- should be characterized by sacrificial love. It's a community of those who have come together not to be served, but to serve, just like Christ. Could someone please go ahead and read 1 John 4, 10 through 11, which is on your paper. Thank you. So what grounds for loving one another are given here?
3: God's love for us.
0: Exactly. Yes. That is the foundation. Now, could someone please read Galatians 6.2 as we think more about sacrificial love? Thank you. Uh, Galatians
2: six two. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ.
0: Great. So what is the one another command in this verse?
2: Bear one another's burdens.
0: Yeah, good. A plus. Exactly. So one way we can show sacrificial love at our church is by carrying each other's burdens. This is this looks like coming alongside each other in challenging times. It could be spiritual, it could be physical. Coming alongside each other and literally helping to carry the load. It could involve patiently bearing with someone's doubts or spiritual struggles for even a prolonged period of time. Or it could could mean providing material help like groceries, a loan, a ride, childcare, giving up your Friday nights to visit someone who's maybe sick. Service in the church, of course, involves things like volunteering for childcare or sound. Those are really important, but I think it's really easy to forget about the kind of service of bearing one another's burdens. These, are, these happen mainly in personal relationships, and therefore they can be easiest to neglect because they, they take more time and they can be messy. I have, I have a couple of examples in my mind, but I wanted to ask you guys, what are some examples of ways that we can help bear one another's burdens? Or how have you experienced someone help bear your burdens? What are some, what are some examples of ways we can help bear one another's burdens? Or how have you experienced someone help bear your burdens in the past? Yeah. In
1: ways I mean obviously prayer
0: yeah yeah like then, yeah I yeah absolutely I, I love that it's so simple to just like pray, to just pray for someone send them a text or two saying hey I'm praying for you hey how is this going it's so simple but I, I think we would all attest that that means a lot when you're struggling just to know that someone's Aware that they're praying for you, that they're checking in on you, that's huge. So, yeah, that's really good. Does any, anyone else have any other ideas? That's really helpful. Thank you. Wow. Yeah.
1: Mm. And then all of the meals just it means like it's just very tangible. Yeah. It means so much the not yeah. to not cook when you're healing and just trying yeah. to, try to take care of the
0: and, and when your husband isn't a good cook.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. That's really good. I that's that was one of the ones I was thinking of. The meal trains are clutch. That's such a tangible way and I I love it. Any final one? Yeah.
2: Well, for me as a single person who's never been married or had kids, I love it when couples invite me into their house. Mm. Because I know it's hard for mm. them because, you know, relating to a single and you don't have a, a person with you. you know? mm. And so. I've appreciated over the years the people who did, because I know I'm probably one of the last people they want to invite no. <laughs> so into their house because it's uncomfortable mm. and we're in a different position. But I've mm. experienced love, mm. or oh, the lack thereof, <laughs> but depending on the situation of people that aren't willing to invite a single person in for a meal. But mm. there's been a lot of people in this church that have. Mm. And I've been enriched and hopefully they've been enriched. Mm. By yeah.
0: That.
2: But I do Absolutely. know it's way out of the comfort zone. Yeah. You know, so I know they're walking in spirit when they're doing Yeah. You know, and that's my point of all this love is about how far mm. along we are, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I have biblical. How far along are we in walking in the spirit of God, which generates the love of God for other people? And how how where are we still stuck in the old nature? Yeah. Most of the time. What comes natural? You know, what what we want to do? Like the parable who do you invite? Yeah. If you wanna know who you're going to invite, just think about all the people you don't want to invite <laughs> and invite them. <laughs> so then you'll know right away, you know, what your where your heart is. Who you don't and you know, for me I've been minister to the people that were willing yeah. to reach out and, and love me for where I am because they're totally in another Yeah. And so, but I've gone into their house and gotten to know their burdens and gotten to know what they're struggling with and gotten to know how hard it is for them to have young kids. (laughs) You know, it's a difficult thing. Mm. You know? So it's opened my heart to help them too and be more sensitive to their side of life too. Yeah. And what they go through.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's humbling to think about the love we're called to Christ. Yeah. It's a gut check. Um, yeah. So before we move on, I want to read one other, one another passage. Could somebody read Hebrews 10, 24 to 25? Hebrews 10 verses 24 to 25. Go ahead and thank you, Kim. Let us consider how to stir up one another's love and
1: good works, not the one to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another in all the Mars you see the day to here.
0: Thank you. What are the one another commands here? Count two. stir up one another to what?
3: To love and good works.
0: Okay, good. thought it could be anger. Stir up one another to anger. That's not that. Um, yeah, love and good works. What else? What's the other one another? Not neglecting
1: it.
0: Yeah, maybe that's a third one. I was thinking of another one, but that's really important. Let's not do that. Let's not neglect. Encourage one another. Yeah. Amen. So real quick, before we move on, what are some tangible ways that we can encourage each other or stir up one another to love and good works? Any ideas?
3: To us, I think about our, our local church. Everybody in this room. Mm-hmm. Like, if you think about your last three moves from one place to another, or the last two generations of your family, all the things that led up to us being in this room now, um, it you really just sort of get to gaze at the wisdom and the goodness of God that we're all here together. The things that brought us here, and that whoever He's put in our sort of. Our local church has given us gifts yeah. to serve them specifically because they're here. So I think that that's sort of like an internal dialogue, but that may help us to love one another, it really be a practical way to do that, so that your heart's in the right place, and even encourages you to want to go to those
0: mm. So So, yeah, amen. Yeah, one one idea I had from talking to Kyle just right before this was thinking of go-to questions that you can have in your back pocket when you're talking to a brother or sister. Kyle was talking about like how he had read a book that encouraged that. Like what are questions you can have in mind? Like what has God been teaching you lately? Or um, yeah, I don't, I can't think of another one off the top of my head, but, but thinking of questions that you can be intentional to ask. Cause it's really easy to unfortunately spend time with each other and just uh, let it pass without talking of anything of actual substance. Yeah, Anna. I feel like one that usually gets to the heart of things is, like, how can I be
1: praying for you? Because yeah. Because like people did
0: really share that's yeah. what's going on. Yeah, you're so right. That's a good one. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm going to move on to, to number three. Fellowship in truth. Love leads to holiness. A Christian church is a fellowship in the truth. Unlike other communities, we are to be marked by transparency and honesty as we speak the truth of Scripture to each other. And in doing this, our desire should be that each other grows in holiness. I'm going to read Colossians 3.16 real quick. You can turn there if you want. Colossians three sixteen says, "Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom." So the one another, the one another command here is teaching and admonishing each other, and it, it, by admonishing it, that's that's like a that's like advising or urging earnestly. Um. So let's think of two aspects of fellowship in the truth. One is transparency. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So we're to confess to one another and pray for one another. We're to be transparent. This doesn't mean we're transparent with all 100-something members about every single thing, every single deep, dark secret in our life. But if you're not opening up to even just one or two people, then, then you need to ask yourself why. Are we afraid of being rebuked or admitting that we don't have it all together? Are we we afraid of giving up that sin? Or do we not take the danger and deceptiveness of sin seriously? We need to be open and transparent with one another. If we hide our sins and faults, From those around us, we're actually robbing them of the opportunity to do spiritual good to us. And we're also putting ourselves, of course, at spiritual danger. The second aspect, besides transparency, is proclamation. Telling the truth about God and his word at all times, even when it's difficult. This involves exercising a, a kind of watchfulness over each other. We should be lovingly watching over each other, um, not not uh, lest we should slip into sin. Um, Hebrews three thirteen says, "Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness." So we need to cultivate the ability to admonish and rebuke in humble love it's it's easy to shy away from this but it's sometimes the loving thing to do there's constantly um there's constantly going to be people in any church who are coming and going um you know, sometimes even formerly active members uh, will all of a sudden not not be around, and so we need to be aware. Part part of I think the tangible application of this verse is being aware of each other, so that if if someone starts drawing back from fellowship or coming all together, that we notice quickly, so that we're able to reach out. I mean, it's if if they've decided to fellowship at another church, that's great. That's that's another thing. But if they've drawn back from the church all together, it shouldn't take us years to realize that. And we should reach out to them. Um, ask how they're doing. Ask what's going on. Invite them over. Whatever it may be. Um, we're almost out of time. I'm going to try to just address the next couple real quick. Number four, our fellowship should be characterized by mercy and forgiveness. We should be Willing and able to forgive when fellowship has been broken. Um, could someone real quick read Colossians 3.13? 3, Colossians 3.13. Got it. It says,
3: uh, Thanks,
1: bearing with one another and if one has complaint against another,
0: forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So, Nice. So what are the what's the one another command there?
2: Uh, bearing with one another, and
1: there's forgiving each other.
0: Yeah, really good. And how how are we to forgive? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you so, so. Yeah, absolutely. That is the foundation. That's a good example of how God's commands are always grounded in what he's already done for us in Christ. So Christian obedience must flow from this confidence in God's love in Christ. Christ's forgiveness is the basis for ours. So now fifth, fellowship in suffering. Christian fellowship is unique because... Suffering shouldn't pull our community apart. It should actually pull us together. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 4 and 5 says, Christ comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. So our relationship should be characterized by by a warmth and a gentleness, by comforting one another, especially in in hard times. And we have, unfortunately, well, I guess the faith-filled response would be, fortunately, we have been promised suffering. Uh, That has been promised to the church. We will suffer. We will be rejected this side of eternity. And so we must comfort one another. It's not... It's not either God will comfort us or the church will. The church is often the very means that God uses, that God has ordained for our comfort. And again, offering comfort to someone who's suffering is not the kind of thing we can just like sign up to do or volunteer for. It's, it's going to happen in the context of relationships. If there isn't intentional pursuit of one another, we're not even going to know what the person needs or who is suffering. And yet we know that on any given Sunday, there's people all around us who are suffering in different ways, who are discouraged in different ways. So we want to we be looking for how we can encourage and comfort one another. We are unfortunately about out of time. Does anybody have any any concluding questions or thoughts before I close us? Yeah.
2: Well, it's amazing that God's love in and through me isn't dependent at all on the other person being. Yeah. You know, and so that's how I know. If I can go ahead and love somebody and today, like Christ loves me, yeah. Very
0: Yeah, amen. Yeah, that's really good. I I think that's a good way to to sum things up. God is both the source and the model for our love. He's to be the source and the model for our love. Please, please pray with me. Um, Lord, thank you for this time that we had to, to send in your word. We confess our weakness, our selfishness, our apathy so often in this. And we also thank you and praise you for the love that you have already shown us in Christ. And we praise you for the ways that you are working in our church and in our lives. So, Father, we we beg that you would just give us the grace to love one another To bear with one another, to bear each other's burdens, confess to each other, pray for each other, that you may be glorified, that Christ may be praised, and that the world may see the beauty of the gospel. Please help us, Lord. We are not worthy. We are weak. But in our weakness your strength is displayed. So we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, guys.